Most of the people I work with, I feed and they become stronger and leaner. Hello and welcome to Define Your Success, a podcast hosted by me, Abigail Rosaru, Olympic long jumper. And today my guest is Louise Bloor. She is a performance nutritionist for British athletics, judo and diving. And of course, we cannot forget the moniker Olympian at the Rio 2016 games. Thank you and welcome to Define Your Success. Thank you, Avi. Thank you for having me. And great intro. I think you nailed it. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, the reason I've got you on, on here is because, of course, you're a performance nutritionist. And mm. I am, I'm really keen to debunk a few myths around nutrition. I, I think it's going to be helpful for whether it's athletes who are listening or whether it's the general public, just to get a little bit more information around the importance of good diet there's so many fads out there and I really want you to kind of speak to those as well. So let's just get started on how you got into performance nutrition and, and why. Um, that's, that's quite funny actually, because I probably spent up to about the age of 24, 25, not knowing what to do. Um, and I was desperate to try and find some kind of direction because I was an athlete, but I wasn't quite making teams at the time. And it was my mum that said, oh, you're really into cooking. I was like, I'm not that much. I'm into baking cakes. Let's be honest. Um, I just loved, loved the baking cakes and I did food studies. I used to go to my grandma and bake a lot. Um, and that's when I just started to explore the nutrition aspect more. Cause I did the sports science undergrad, which will generally just leave you at an end, but let you go down, go down quite a few different paths. Um, so yeah, I just started asking questions at the Institute of Sport. There was a nutritionist there for GB boxing called Mark Ellison. Um, and he directed me to the IOC postgraduate diploma. Um, which was great because it was distance learning. You could do it from home, download your lectures, um, build up a network. And it just it just worked really, really well. It enabled me to work, train and study for two years, which was heavy. Um, but yeah, it just set me down that path. And because you're in sport, it was on your doorstep. And I was just so fortunate that everything was right there at that moment in time. Um, and that I was able to work closely with Mark and just shadow and just get those experiences and, um, you know, linking with the EIS. And I, I just feel really really blessed because for me my my way in was my sport and it was my athletics so you obviously started learning about performance nutrition whilst you were still competing because I think you started with diving was it around 2013 and yeah. uh was it is it judo around 2014 and you obviously didn't retire from athletics until 2017 so how did what you learned contribute to your performances the university courses are getting better now, but it didn't set me up to do my job. It didn't teach me how to have a consultation. You know, it, it, that's just not what the course was. And um, so a lot of it was me taking what I'd learned on the course and then having to apply it for food. And just it, it did help probably more towards the end where you sit and you go, oh God, I'm not fueling correctly. I'm not food prepped enough. I'm not taking on enough between sessions. I'm too busy rushing, wanting to get home and rest. Uh, my protein focus isn't good enough. Uh, and, and just all those things then really start to kind of come in a little bit better to help me. It, it's not nowhere near as good as what it would have been if I had the knowledge I have now. Nowhere near as good. Because um, you learn every day, every day is a school day, isn't it? You're always learning and picking up something new. Um, and what I also noticed was when you do go to international competition, how the stresses of everything make you forget things. Um, and I, I at one point remember being at a competition thinking, God, I forgot my recovery shake and I'm a nutritionist. 
but you, I mean, you know what it's like, Abby, when you're ready for competition, you've got your bag, you're going, right, spikes, kit, number, accreditation. Have I got everything that I need? And before you know it, you've forgotten your nutrition. And, and that's something that I'll never forget. So when I'm working with athletes, I try to make it as easy for them as possible to make sure they utilize their team and they've got enough headspace to remember it. Cause I'll never forget that I forgot. I think yeah. that is part of the reason as well, why you are such a good performance nutritionist, because you are speaking from your own personal lived experience, as well as what you've learned, like the science behind nutrition. So just backtracking to consult consultations, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you were supremely equipped based on the course what does a consultation look like for you like an ideal consult with it like a new athlete that you're beginning to work with I, th I think it's important to understand the athlete um just to get to know the athlete just find out that we're compatible as, as as two people um you know explaining my philosophy to food and making sure that I am approachable and that they can talk to me about anything um you know if at the end of the day if you want honest feedback you have to give honest information you have to be transparent on it and if you don't give me that transparency and that honesty, you're going to get inaccurate feedback in return. And then you're not going to be able to apply it correctly because you know it's not right as an athlete. So you kind of go, well, we didn't really tell the truth. So there's no point in doing what she's saying because it's not going to work. Um, and I think it is just knocking down the barriers and the fear because I think there's a lot of people look at nutritionists and they expect that they're going to be super healthy. You know, the typical salmon and potatoes and everything's on your plate's perfect. And we don't have, you know, a key example, Abby, would be when people go, oh, would you like a cup of tea? You don't have sugar, do you? You're a nutritionist. <laughs> like, uh, no, actually, future guys, I do have a little bit of sugar in my tea. I do like just a little bit, half a spoon, teaspoon of sugar in my tea. It's like, and people get those assumptions. Therefore, they feel like they can't tell you about just the realities of their food when they've gone out, when they've had cake, when they've just gone and got a takeaway. And it's just knocking down those barriers and just going, these are our philosophies. Let's sit down, have a chat, laugh about it, and just, just be honest and open. And then you can start setting the goals of, of what they want and you can start to work together to build that plan. So what would you say in one sentence is your food philosophy? In one sentence, food is fuel, it's fun, it's emotional, and you've got to enjoy it. Oh, I love that. That is exactly how I feel when I have conversations with you. I don't really, I don't genuinely feel guilty which is sometimes how you might be made to feel when you're looking at what you are sharing. When, because obviously I share my food diary with you when we're having these conversations. As I'm tracking things, we'll try to see what works and what doesn't. And I think that thought around just being absolute honest, absolutely honest and transparent is so, so key. Um, so in terms of what's on your plate, what does a good diet look like just for general Joe blogs? Uh, for general Joe blogs, it is the balance, isn't it, of the carbs, proteins and lots of colour um, and the good fats as well. So if you could break it down into kind of just four different triangles on your plate and just sit there and go, have I got my proteins? Have I got my carbs? Have I got two, three sets of corn on my plate? And where are my good fats? So your good fats might be hidden in the olive oil that you cook the food in, but it's like, is it there? Is it present? Is, is the most basic fundamental that you can look for? So are you getting everything that you need with, within that plate? Um, and then that you're looking for is times of the quantities. So how much do you need as an individual? And with carb and with athletes, that's going to mean more carbohydrates and pushing up the protein quantities. Um, and then the frequency and the timing around your sessions as well. So in terms of like we've discussed it before, like 
it, you have most people will have breakfast, but they may not have a big enough breakfast for your sessions. So can we push it up? Do we make that liquid or a solid depending on if it's going to agree with the stomach or do we say that's fine instead we're going to feel during the session i think it was around november october maybe october november december time i have no idea in 2021 we had a look at what my um intake was in a typical day and a typical week and we also did a few skin folds and things like that. And off these metrics, we decided actually abs is maybe under eating on certain days <laughs> and she's not fueling super well um, to help her recovery after sessions, to help her prepare for sessions. And also we found that that could potentially have had an impact on my you know, injuries and niggles that I was getting. And so for me, it was super important to have that conversation, to be really real and upfront and actually to up my fuel, particularly my carbs in the morning. And when you talk about, are we going to up that through liquids or are we going to up that through uh, solid food? What you meant was, oh, well, we can, you can add an extra piece of toast. I said, that's not going to happen. Or you can add, um, uh, a glass of juice and we said okay I feel like that's feasible or one or the other I can't remember what it, exactly yeah. it was because we needed to get an extra 20 grams of carbs was it yeah 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 so so typically what I would have is I'd have a couple of sheets with a 50 gram carb a 25 gram carb and obviously there's not many foods on there it's just examples and all you need to do is read a food label which I know that can be a different task on itself to find your own but it's like actually let's find something off these sheets that we can use to, to top up um, and I typically use that with a lot of athletes because it puts you in control and it makes it makes it feasible. But uh, yeah, I do vividly remember that we didn't even sit down and you just looked at me and you went, I'm not eating enough. <laughs> and you know what that happened? It was because I think what, what happened is you said, let's track your food. And, and I think it was like, well, this is probably the bare minimum. I think you were like, oh, you can eat if you're just sitting down throughout the day, just watching Big Bang, Th Big Bang Theory all day and doing nothing, you can eat 1800 calories, I think it was, or 1800, five, uh, 1800, 1854 calories. Like I've got, a, a, it's <laughs> just seared into my brain, that number. <laughs> that number is seared into my brain. And I feel like there were some days where I was like 1200, 1300 and genuinely feeling fine with it. Like genuinely not even realizing until I put it into the diary, I was like, oh, wow, on that day, I, I didn't, I looked at it, I added stuff into my diary at 6pm and realised I needed to add an extra 500 calories. And, <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd been doing things during the day. So, yeah. I mean, how many times do you find that happens when you're working with athletes, whether it's in British athletics, whether it's with judo or diving, that athletes are actually under eating? A lot, a lot. At the minute, I'm going around saying 95% of the time athletes aren't eating enough. Um, I'm not convinced that's much of an exaggeration. I genuinely don't believe athletes think that they're eating enough or they understand how much their body needs. Um, and the reason why, and it is an estimated RMR, I know it's the exact calorie, but it, it is an estimated one. You can be more accurate if you get somebody in the lab. But for me, that just puts it into context. You know, that 60, 70% that you burn at rest, just sitting there watching TV all day just to stay alive and stay healthy. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when you when people look at that and then put it on a, on a piece of paper and outline what they're eating, it really does highlight it. And we don't really measure energy expenditure, but we do get an idea of how hard your sessions are and how frequently they are and how long they are and actually how much then you need to be putting in as, as an athlete. And I think in a lot of the sports I've worked with, 
weight is 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 in it is like kind of one of the whether well, diving it's aesthetic in the board it's an aesthetic sport judo is a weight making sport so for them it's kind of they want to manage their weight and in athletics there's this issue where it's all like, oh, lighter is better um and I, I sometimes i think there's an element of that as well where they don't quite understand actually it's not lighter is better it's about power to weight ratio it's like you want to be as strong as you possibly can and you want to be as lean as you possibly can it doesn't it's not necessarily lighter but the actual number on the scale is, is irrelevant in a way it's the composition of the athlete and how strong and powerful you are um so i think there's two things that that, that kind of cause that i think it's just not not really realizing just lack of knowledge but i think maybe there is a bit of subconscious you know I need to I need to weigh this I need to look like this I need to feel this across a lot of the sports that I work with because I do come from like say that weight making that power background so I do I do see it quite a lot and now I'm picking up with more endurance athletes and you know you, you're finding it similar in, in those guys as well but they just don't quite understand how much they need to eat but with with endurance they're burning so much and training that hard that sometimes it's hard to get that calorie intake so high um, yeah so- I definitely do not have that issue so <laughs> Yeah. I'm barely doing like 10,000 yeah. steps a day most of the people I work with I feed and they become stronger and leaner um, 100% I love that yeah. you just nailed it because it wasn't I, I don't know whether I felt nervous when we said oh we're gonna increase this here and we're gonna make sure we get this extra bit of food between your morning session and your afternoon session because what I was doing it still wasn't sufficient and then we're gonna and you were just giving me all these tips of where we were going to actually add the calories and in doing that um but I don't feel like it has been detrimental to my performance in fact I feel like it's enhanced it I've actually got a lot more clarity um in the sessions through the sessions you genuinely feel that you have the energy to get through and you're not kind of uh, wasting energy thinking oh I'm so so hungry right now or my tummy's rumbling and things like that and and I think you just get used to being hungry sometimes that you don't even maybe realize yeah. it or um I don't even know maybe the hunger isn't necessarily there but you know that when you fueled yourself right you've you have that extra energy for the session because physiologically that's what your body needs to perform well yeah so and I think that's what it is I think you become accustomed to how you feel and it was similar with the combat athletes it's like you think you're making weight okay because you don't know what it feels like to make weight excellently you, don't, you know you don't know what that feels like so you've got nothing to compare it to so the way you're eating is all you've ever known so you don't recognize that actually it could be better than how it is um and, and a lot of athletes again something that an example I use all the time is you know that the brain and, and cognitive function and focus and attention and skill execution the brain takes on 20 percent of energy that you eat it's the most energy demanding organ that you have got in your body and if your blood glucose drops and your brain function starts to drop off and your attention drops it's almost like you've all been there where you just you're there in body but you're not there in mind and you're just going through the motions and you're just getting through it uh, things can go wrong and then you get frustrated or you just kind of go it was an all right session and then you walk away and it's just like it's not just fueling you physically it's fueling you mentally it's fueling the brain the thing that enables that coordinates all your central nervous system it's it's fueling that so even if you are just going through a little session that might be just a few pop-ups and you know a little few drive outs your block starts just a light javelin session it's, it's all those kind of things like make sure the brain is fueled maintain the blood glucose levels what are maybe some other louise Bloor quotes things that you often find that you're having to um mention to athletes quite frequently um oh god I don't know what do I normally say 
so normally when I say, you know, have a, have like um, increased your fats, have a portion of nuts, I literally have to emphasize, you know, it's like 30 grams of nuts because I have had athletes that have just gone and eat an entire pack and you know that nuts are high in unsaturated mm -hmm. fat and omega-3 and next minute they've had 1500 calories of nuts. It's a healthy snack. Um, so that one can come out quite frequently, just emphasizing those portions. Um, God, I don't know, what, what do I normally... What do I normally have? I generally, because I'm such a balanced nutritionist, you can guarantee that any of my ridiculous comments will be towards kind of cakes. Um, that, that kind of feels like yeah. part of your philosophy of food is fun. So yeah. tell me more about the cakes. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, she's few ways you could think about really, isn't it? I mean, if, if you worked out, um, not necessarily for cakes, but if you look at meals, if you work out three meals a day over however many weeks, there's over a thousand meals we have a year. So there's like a thousand opportunities to either get it right and really fuel and adapt or a thousand opportunities to totally get it wrong and miss all those opportunities to be better. But then there's also, it's kind of like, you don't want to be on it all the time. Nobody can be on it all the time. So it's like, well, actually, if you did sit there and you say, well, we took 5% of those or 3% of those and turned them into meals that you can go out with your friends with, or if you wanted to get a takeout, it's like on the grand scale of things, is that going to make a difference? It's like, it's not going to derail your career to kind of have those emotional things that you look forward to and that social aspect of your life. So it does come down to the simple saying, if you're getting it right 90, 95% of the time, that 5% doesn't matter um, because that's the human. And my, my philosophy is, and this is another one, look after the human beneath the athlete. That's something I always say, look after the human beneath the athletes. If you're happy, then you'll be training well. And that doesn't have to be food. It could be any kind of your know, personal life. It could be university stresses. It's like everything, if you're happy within yourself, you will train well and you will perform well. And food is so emotive that it is like, if you do occasionally go out for that meal and you have that, that treat that muffin or whatever it is it's it's you should be comfortable and confident you know that you're getting it right the rest of the time you're training hard everything else is balanced that, that is absolutely fine and it's okay it's part of who you want it makes you happy and athletes know when to not do that don't you you know when the com big comps around the corner and you know when to just go right now i'm 100 focused you know when that time is right and, and to be honest sometimes athletes are burning so much energy anyway the only way to get that extra energy in is from maybe a bit of a treat because there's only so much, I mean, you know, football is match day minus one. It's a classic that, you know, they'll have the apple crumble in the kitchen because you've got to have so many carbohydrates day before a match that instead of just trying to force down all these, these whole grain foods, these high fiber foods, flapjacks, everything, it's kind of like actually just put a dessert on, mm. gets the energy in, gets the energy in, gets you going. But yeah, that, that is definitely me. It's, um, it is just having that balance, just that understanding of, of what you can have and be okay with it. It's not going to derail your career if you're getting it right. 90-95% of the time at all. Thanks. I love that. We're gonna do a bit of a left turn or about turn. I don't know what the saying is. I <laughs> went on your Twitter and had a look at one of those articles that you shared. Trying to make weight on my period left me half dead. Oh yeah. See, I'm not a Twitter person. I'm a retweeter. I'm not big on social media, Abby. It's something I need to work on. Um, but yeah, so that that cropped up uh not that long ago was it um it came to me through, obviously through the judo media team um and it's this thing that probably me and you have spoken about is that the that we know there's not enough research we're about 50 years behind in female research it's much easier to research males because the menstrual cycle is so hard to control it's such a massive variable and it can impact every result that you do in studies so women just aren't researched but one thing that you do find with the with the menstrual cycle at certain parts in the luteal phases that athletes can put on and increase water retention. 
and they can get that extra one to two kilos as you can see at certain parts within that cycle so as you can imagine for a combat athlete where weight is really important if the weighing does fall in line with your menstrual cycle if you've not planned in advance or seen it or if you haven't really nailed those weight making practices it can be really really hard and stressful and as as the girl in the uh, article showed it can be really really dangerous if you're bringing your weight down quite a lot in events like boxing and professional boxing and mma where they bring it down on a big camp um so yeah i am you know i'm really really passionate about the whole menstrual cycle and women's health and and how we communicate about how we speak about it more and support it more in sport and it's and females feel comfortable just be able to talk and ask for help really and how we can monitor and support them and how can we do that what are, what are some tips and advice on um monitoring and supporting female athletes as they are dealing with their weight management whether it's to increase um or to decrease weight i mean the first thing you've got to do is understand your cycle you've got to know your cycle as a person and also you've got to understand how different form of contraceptive can 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 impact your cycle and if, if you're on the contraceptive pill for example you don't actually have a period you have a withdrawal bleed uh, a withdrawal bleed because it's when you withdraw the hormones that you're taking from the pill when you take that week off um you'll then have a period but it's not an official period so we might use periods as markers of um you know good health so if you're eating enough you if you're if you're not stressed uh, those kind of things we don't expect to have a normal menstrual cycle but if you don't eat enough when you are stressed then you might be late you might be quite irregular and there's all sorts of patterns that you can sit there and go oh, actually we're not something's not right here and i need to unpick why and you might need to go to a gp or a sports physician to, to kind of find out what is going on um but you can't do that if you're on a contraceptive pill because it kind of it's a barrier for that and it's it's, it's a bit of a blindfold really if you like um so the first thing you need to do is understand you know your cycle if you're on a natural cycle and, and monitor it on, on, on whether it's on different apps that you can get through or um, athletes hopefully should be able to use the, the AIR app, which is linked to PDMS, which is something that British athletics have just moved over to. Um, or you can use different apps like I me mean, you've gone through. Is it like Clue and Fitter Woman, things like that? that you can yeah, use. both of those. Yep. Um, and, and you can log it and you can log your symptoms. You can log your cycle. So how long it is when you're going to be due on? Is it is it regular every single month? Um, and you can you can log your weight as well every single morning. So just see if your weight does increase and assess that increase in water retention. Um, as long as you know why you're taking your weight and it's it's accurate and you understand natural daily fluctuations that you get anyway, um, and you understand the reasons why you're doing it, then it can be a really useful tool. And um, with the judo player who was also part of that, um, she'd come down a weight category. Uh, which we'd managed safely and we've done it really well and along came mother nature just ready to ruin our parade um so we had a few phone calls a week before weighing and it was kind of like look we know where you are now give it two days the weight's going to come off unfortunately it did come off two days before weighing um but she was stressed but the only thing that gave me the confidence to know that we didn't need to be stressed is because we've got the historical data so we knew what was going to happen it's like we've got so much data on you this is going to be okay by Wednesday and by Wednesday it was okay we were back down to where we wanted to be but the stress is unbelievable especially for combat athletes it's it's unbelievable because then you can't even compete can you if you don't make that weigh in yeah so I can understand even that stress contributing to you know potentially poor performance and even potentially to want one in like how do you, people manage that stress ordinarily a lot of people might reach for a cake or something yeah. that is comforting and in that moment yeah. she can't even have that she can't then, do that 
emotional eating is a thing on the period i mentioned it to somebody it might have been yesterday or the day before they were going is that even a thing and i'm like yes it's a thing it's a scientifically proven thing that the hormones at certain part you will experience emotional eating sugar cravings and you have to be aware of them and then when you're aware of them you can control them because it's like you know the cause otherwise what happens is you know what we're like Abby, you just stomp around the house going oh my god i'm so hungry i just need cake i can't stop eating what is wrong with me actually when you know what's wrong with you you can go i know what's happening and you can establish ways of kind of dealing with it especially as an elite athlete maybe getting ready for a major chance or an or combat athlete trying to make weight if you can understand that and learn how to manage it you know it's, it's a brilliant part of your arsenal in terms of aiding your performance um but but yeah i mean like you said that the water retention thing for combat athletes we need more needs to be done and i don't even know how you would control it but there needs to be kind of a bit of consideration because that girl lost her belt and she really weighed she didn't make weight it was quite dangerous what she did it puts her in that situation that she shouldn't have been in and you know advice to our guys is monitor it and start making weight earlier plan ahead is the obvious thing you can do um and it, it is complex everybody's weight making journey is different depending on body composition weight categories and sport so um it's a little bit different but but with you guys on you know power athletes you know we've spoken about power to weight ratio and how we can optimize this on the day and these little acute strategies that we can use and you can go through all that and if if water retention comes along on your period it's like well i've just done all this work to try and (laughs) optimize my power to weight ratio on the day and mother nature has just kind of skipped along and put on another two kilos and now i'm back to where i started can you remind us or share with us maybe two uh, key strategies that we can do to make weight a uh, part of the, you know we've had a conversation about this in the past around making weight around competition or reducing yeah so a lot of things that we would look at so we take body composition don't we and we take it across the year um, and what we're looking at there you're looking at the the girth measurements which is like a representation of lean mass and then we're looking at the skin fold which is an indication towards fat mass um, and you'd expect natural fluctuations in the season I always expect people in September to come back with nice reasonable good kilo skin fold score that's gone up because I know you've had a good time off and that's what it's about you switched off you've had some fun um and then you can get back into your training and then the skin folds will fluctuate but fundamentally when it comes down to competition you want to optimize the skin fold and the fat mass because the fat mass isn't conducive towards the performance so there's ways of doing that safely and gradually just by kind of periodizing your carbohydrates expand your training a little bit more make sure your protein's nice and high to protect that muscle turnover and that lean mass um, and, and just really close monitoring so that you're monitoring that's called acute weight loss where you're kind of wanting to maintain the lean but bring the muscle down so that the fat down slowly um, then when you get closer to competition we can be look at more acute strategies and I think the classic at the minute is that low fat low residue diet um, in terms of kind of uh, losing the fiber so a lot of sort of the fruits and the veg- all the goodness from your diet basically everything that you say put in your diet in terms of fiber for gut health you then remove it um, and if you if you do already, that will only work if you've already got a high fibre intake to begin with. Um, and then when you flip it on its head, people can lose, depends on the athlete and the initial fibre intake and size of the athlete, but you can lose three to 700 grams on that in, in 48 hours leading into it. Some a little bit more on the bigger athletes, um, but that can really, really help. And we've also looked at, again, just little dehydration strategies, but, but safe ones. So nothing that's really kind of extreme. It's just a case of can we... Can we manipulate those a little bit in the final, you know, 24 hours? But obviously things to consider are your electrolyte intake and retaining that water, but also the weather outside. So there's there's a lot of variables to, to consider around those factors. So you, you do, we, we work closely together. 
and specifically around the hydration one it's 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 monitored we like to try and monitor it closely and just keep it on a tight tight range because obviously water and fluid is really important and your electrolytes important for performance and your normal function and I think that's the key thing, um, just rounding this in, uh, this podcast interview off, it is that idea that I get this nutritional support from you. And like you said, we're working closely together. The people that you're working with at BA, at judo, at diving, we are in regular conversation. And so as much as obviously we, we are sharing this advice and these thoughts around food being fuel, food being fun, how we can um, manage our weight fluctuations around a menstrual cycle and acute weight loss and uh, long-term weight loss strategies. We also obviously have to um, put like a bit of a proviso there and say, make sure that you are also getting your personal consultations with, with someone that you can trust, with someone that has a qualification and has experience in, in these areas. So I really do hope that this conversation has been useful for people who are listening. What I'm gonna ask actually from Louise, if there's anything that she feels like any myth that she wants to debunk or any just final words of wisdom, this is your moment, your time to get on your soapbox. It's all that wisdom. I think it's just to reinforce what you said is that we've we've talked a lot about the tip of the iceberg stuff. Um, and it's absolutely paramount that you have to get the basics right. You have to be fit, healthy, meeting your basic energy needs and getting full balance to your diet and understand those basic fuel and recovery strategies from day to day before you start to maybe look at some of the stuff that we have done and working closely with nutritionists that are preferably in a, in a sporting world on the sports and exercise nutrition register, which is the SENR register, to make sure that you are. Uh, getting advice from somebody who is fully qualified, getting regular CPD um, and can give you the support that you need. Um, one thing that somebody said about, uh, you know, the social media and all the, the Netflix documentaries that go out there is, you know, Netflix is entertainment, not education. Um, and that's another thing that I generally use quite a lot around people when they come up to me with all these uh, new little pieces of inspiration that they get from those kind of documentaries. Success is, please, can you define success? just to oh, round things up god that's not an easy one to define Abby is it Dif that's why I like to throw it out there at the end yeah I, I think you define your own success isn't it I think we are as athletes we are our biggest just for yourself as an athlete you know you always have that athlete mentality I'm like, you're your biggest critic you are your absolute biggest critic and I think the barrier always moves and it always gets higher um how can I think success for me was getting that GB vest when I got that GB vest I wanted something else um so I, I think go back and imagine what you wanted 10 years ago and, and where are you now? And I think you'll probably be able to look at yourself and, and declare yourself as, as pretty, pretty damn successful and stop being so hard on yourself. Can you define just finally success in no. three words? <laughs> define success in three words. <laughs> oh God, Abby, I can't even define success in three <laughs> words. Um, oh, I haven't got any words for you. I suppose, um, God, would it, would it, can you, can I use happiness as one of them? Just to be, just be happy. And happiness is, is definitely the road to success and to be proud of what you've achieved. Um, and it's not a word, but just to surround yourself by positive empowering people. Lovely. That is a perfect people. way to finish this podcast. Thank you so much guys for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this. If you found it helpful, please share it with others, subscribe. And I look forward to seeing you guys and speaking with you next week. Thanks, Louise. Bye. Thank you.